The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of Neptune and Delphinus features references to substance abuse. Please exercise caution for children under 13. Salacia swam as fast as she could. The beautiful sea nymph's feet fluttered so quickly they seemed to blur in the water. It was impossible to tell where her body stopped and the water began. But she knew she had to swim faster. There was someone chasing her, hunting her. Not only did he have a giant iron trident pointed at her, but there was now a platoon of sharks following her too. As a beautiful young sea nymph, she was constantly being followed and accosted by strange men and creatures, but this time felt different. Whoever this was didn't seem to want her virginity. He wanted her dead. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is part of our Summer Solstice Takeover. Over the past two weeks, we've explored the myths and legends of the stars. Check out Mythical Monsters, Superstitions, and Mythology for more of the special. Today on Tales, we're diving into the legend of Neptune and Delphinus. This ancient Greek myth tells the story of a tricky dolphin who helps the sea god track down the love of his life, all in the hopes of winning his very own constellation. Coming up, Neptune falls for a sea nymph. The story of Neptune and Delphinus likely originated in Greek mythology through an oral tradition around the 18th century BCE. At the time, Neptune, the god of the sea, was known as Poseidon. It took another thousand years for the Romans to finally adapt the Greek story and change his name to Neptune. In 1846, the planet Neptune was discovered and named after the god of the sea, cementing the deity's ties with Pisces and the Twelfth House, the astrological realms the planet Neptune rules. Like Pisces humans, the sea god is associated with sensitivity, creativity, and indirectness. In the story of Neptune and Delphinus, we see those characteristics in full force. Even though Neptune rules the dangerous aquatic world, he's a painter, and when he meets the love of his life, he fears rejection and sends his dolphin messenger Delphinus to convince her to come back. The story reminds us that everyone, even gods, have their failings, and in the end, we all need a loyal friend to brave an ocean full of sea monsters and sharks. Neptune threw down his paintbrush and kicked the easel into the water. He'd been painting the sunrise over the Aegean Sea when a fleet of Greek triremes sailed into view. Not only did their masts obscure the horizon, Neptune could hear their oars splashing in the water. Neptune's advisor, the wise old walrus Claudius, noticed his sovereign's displeasure. He waddled across the deck of their ship and asked, Sire, would you like me to send the whales over to push them out of the way? 
Neptune tugged on his voluminous beard, bleached white by the sun and salt water. No, Claude, I'll handle this. The god raised his heavy iron trident and pointed the three barbed tips at the Greek vessels. Suddenly, the sea began to froth and bubble around their hulls. Neptune could just make out the tiny specks of humans panicking on board. Their distant screams carried over the water. Moments later, giant tentacles emerged around the ships and crushed them to splinters. Men were carried down with the cracked hulls. The lucky ones died instantly, while many floated on the sea as sharks circled and devoured them one by one. Neptune and his entourage watched everything from the distance of his pleasure yacht. When the screams of the Greeks subsided, Claudius brought Neptune another easel and paintbrush. This time, Neptune waved him away. I'm not inspired anymore. Let's head to a beach. I need a change of scenery. While Neptune reclined on a bed of kelp, Claudius whistled for the ship to change course and breathed a sigh of relief that today, Neptune's rage had been focused on the Greeks and not him. A short time later, Neptune's armada arrived off the coast of Naxos, a Greek island known for its sheltered coves. Claudius knew the perfect place to anchor the ship for the day. Not only did it have warm, tranquil waters, but it was secluded enough not to disturb Neptune. As they approached, however, it seemed they weren't the only ones who knew about the cove. In the turquoise lagoon, a pod of dolphins was splashing, doing acrobatics. Even worse, they were accompanied by singing. As soon as Claudius heard the sound, he whistled and waved his flippers. They had to turn the boat around. This was going to wake Neptune. But it was too late. Neptune stirred from his slumber. What's that sound? He grumbled. Claudius shuffled over as fast as his blubber could carry him. Humble apologies, your majesty. We didn't realize there was somebody already here. Neptune's scowl softened, though, and he sprung up from his bed of kelp. It's all right. It's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. Where's it coming from? Claudius fetched the telescope. Neptune peered through it carefully, and then... He saw it. There, amongst the dolphins, was a beautiful sea nymph. She looked much like a human, but her hair glowed with tiny flecks of coral and grains of fine pink sand. She wore a tiara of bleached white starfish. Her body was bare except for a few seashells. Neptune patted Claudius on his meaty shoulder. Get my easel. I finally feel inspired. For a short time, Neptune painted the distant scene, trying to capture the graceful play of the dolphins in the Blue Lagoon, but he kept stopping to peer through the telescope and watch the sea nymph. She rivaled the goddess Venus in beauty, though Neptune could never say that out loud. He had seen what Venus did to other pretty creatures, he didn't want the goddess to make this sea nymph fall in love with a beast. That thought made him feel strange. Was this concern? 
His whole life he had roamed the sea, indulging his every whim. When he was happy, he painted scenes. When he was upset, he created horrific storms and destroyed ships and seaside villages. It was a good life. Free. Exciting. But mostly, he lived it alone. Even though he had friends like Claudius, they were subservient, not partners, and he certainly didn't feel concern for them. All at once, he realized this new emotion signaled that it was time for a change. Time for a real partner. Time for a wife. He put down his paintbrush and gestured to Claudius. Have the whales tow us into the lagoon. I'd like to meet this enchanting creature. As the ship entered the lagoon, the scene froze. The dancing and singing ceased abruptly. The sea nymph stared, her eyes wide, afraid. Then she made several clicking noises with her mouth, and the dolphins scattered. Some swam in circles, others darted in every direction. The lagoon roiled with foam and waves. In the chaos, the sea nymph dove under the water and disappeared. Neptune scanned the cove, looking for her. Where did she go? He boomed. Claudius signaled for their fastest sharks to search the lagoon. They had to locate the nymph, or he would face the same wrath as those Greek ships. His blubber quivered at the thought. So when the sharks failed to find her, Claudius didn't waste any time. He quickly dispatched a seagull to scout from the air. A short time later, the gull cawed and pointed his beak to the horizon. The sea nymph had slipped past them and was already far out to sea. Neptune pointed his trident at the tiny splash on the horizon. She's getting away! In an instant, Neptune and his armada gave chase. They followed the nymph for hours, sometimes making headway, but she managed to stay just out of reach. Finally, Claudius approached Neptune reluctantly. Sire, the whales are pulling the barge as fast as they can, but it's no use. Neptune stroked his white beard. How is this possible? he asked. She's quicker than a mako shark. That's when Neptune grabbed his trident and pointed it toward the sea nymph. Suddenly, the sky turned black. Winds howled. Waves reared up from the depths of the sea, towering high overhead, taller than the greatest temples in the Mediterranean. Neptune grinned. There was no way the sea nymph would be able to get away now. Miraculously, though, she pressed onward. She leapt from giant wave to wave. In fact, she used the swells to catapult herself further ahead. Neptune threw his trident to the deck. Impossible! He was supposed to rule the seas, but somehow he was being humiliated by this sea nymph. The ship's crew trembled, waiting for Neptune's next order. He picked up the trident and pointed toward the stormy horizon. What are you waiting for? Onward! He boomed. Before the crew could act, Claudius inched over, his blubber quaking more than ever. Sire, he whispered, we've tried everything. Perhaps we should call off the chase? Neptune aimed the trident at Claudius's neck and hissed. 
You're my oldest advisor, but if you ever contradict me in front of the crew, I'll feed you to the sharks. As Claudius hung his head and turned away, Neptune gestured the crew onwards. But as he watched the old walrus waddle off, he realized his old lieutenant might be right. How would it look if they pressed on and still turned up empty-handed? His crew would never respect him. Worse than that, he'd be ostracized by the pantheon of gods. All of a sudden, Neptune gave a sharp whistle, louder than any bosun. At that, the wind stopped howling, the sea turned calm, the flotilla of sharks, marlins, and whales stopped swimming. They all turned their attention to Neptune. Let her go, he announced, trying to save face. But that didn't mean he was ready to give up, not when he'd set his heart on her. He turned to Claudius, fire in his eyes. Get me the hunter. Get me Delphinus. Coming up, Delphinus hunts the most beautiful creature in the ocean. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location, and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Delphinus slammed back another shot of fermented algae. He was floating lazily at a sandbar on the coast of Cyprus. The other patrons were all stingrays and sea snakes, but Delphinus had been coming here for so long, no one bothered him. Delphinus didn't care. He had long stopped caring. He had scars on his snout and torso from fights, and an equal number from accidentally scraping himself on reefs when he was too tipsy. Tonight, it seemed like either could happen. He was in one of those moods. Cato, the lobster bartender, skittered over to refill Delphinus's shell. Looks like someone's here to see you he said nervously. Delphinus shook his head. If it's that pesky lawyer, tell him I'm not going to sign until she gives me half custody of our pod. Cato's eyes bulged wider than usual. I don't think this is a lawyer, Delph. Delphinus shook his head. He'd just have to tell whoever it was to bugger off himself. Hey, get off our sandbar! 
he started to say, but as he swung around, he realized he should have kept his mouth shut. Standing in front of him was none other than the god of the sea, Neptune. Delphinus dropped his seashell of algae, spilling it into the surrounding water. Neptune, I mean, your majesty, sir, he stammered. What, what can I do for you? Neptune stared at him. I heard you're a hunter, he said simply. Delphinus grinned. I like to think of myself as a finder of things. Claudius the walrus waddled forward. If his majesty wanted a comedian, he would have gone to the clownfish on the other side of the island. Neptune raised a hand. It's all right, Claudius. I'll handle this. Why don't you go wait on the ship? Claudius lumbered off the sandbar, leaving Neptune and Delphinus alone. Neptune surveyed the dolphin's scars. Looks like you're good at finding trouble. Delphinus shrugged. Since my wife left, I've gotten in a few scrapes, but it doesn't mean I'm not the best at what I do. What are you looking for? A shipwreck? A lost child? Neptune cleared his throat. <clears> throat> uh, sea nymph. Delphinus rolled his eyes. Can't you just summon her? Neptune looked around at the sandbar. If I could, do you think I'd be here? Delphinus nodded. Neptune had a point. Okay, what's her name? I'll see what I can do. Sea nymphs are cagey, but I have some contacts. Neptune sighed forlornly. That's the problem. I don't know who she is. He then described her to Delphinus, complete with the dancing dolphins, angelic song, and glimmering tiara. Even with the description, Delphinus scrunched his snout up skeptically. I don't know. Without a name, it'll be like finding one needlefish in a school of needlefish. Neptune stepped close to Delphinus, looming over him. I'm willing to pay you. He snapped his fingers, and two sea lions swam over with a giant trunk of gold. Delphinus snorted and indicated his flippers. What am I going to do with gold? I can't carry it. Neptune looked around. How about I name this sandbar after you, or an ocean? Delphinus shook his head. As soon as you put your name on something like that, everyone turns to you to get stuff fixed. <laughs> Thanks, but I'll pass. Neptune started to point his trident at the insolent dolphin, but then he had an idea. What if I give you the stars? He asked. Delphinus cocked his head curiously at the king. What do you mean, the stars? A smile spread across Neptune's face. Sandbars like this come and go. Even oceans don't last. But the stars, Delphinus, they'll last forever. You'll be immortal. Delphinus nearly choked water through his blowhole. His eyes grew wide. The stars, he thought. He had always wanted a way to make his mark forever. Something to show his estranged wife that he wasn't a useless drunk. After a moment, he saluted Neptune. I'll do it. I'll hunt down this sea nymph for you. A huge grin spread across Neptune's face. He instructed Delphinus to bring her to his temple off the coast of Rome. 
Delphinus agreed. Then he bid the sea god goodbye and fluttered off the sandbar into the open sea. After a short while, he started to sober up. No more algae, he said to himself. He was going to need all his skills to track down this sea nymph and stay alive. Delphinus's first stop was the coast of Corsica, a popular anchorage for pirates. But he didn't care about the notorious seafarers. He was more interested in a creature that lived under their ships, an old octopus named Adras. In a grotto beneath the pirates' docks, Adras had amassed the greatest collection of Roman coins and other trinkets that fell from the ships. But more importantly for Delphinus, he knew everything and everyone that came and went through the Mediterranean. When Delphinus glided into the pirate cove, he heard Adras's voice, Delphinus, still getting in fights with sharks? Delphinus chuckled. Ah, that was a long time ago. The two friends swapped stories about weather, tides, and their mutual friends in the sea. Then Adras got down to business. So, what can I do for you? He asked. Delphinus told him he was looking for a young sea nymph who liked to dance with dolphins off the coast of Naxos. The octopus got a strange look in his eye and scooted to the far side of the grotto. His eight tentacles started nervously counting stacks of doubloons. Delphinus floated over to him. You know her? The octopus stopped fondling his treasure. Her name's Salacia. She's a Nereid. Delphinus squinted at him. The name sounded familiar, but he wasn't sure what it meant. The octopus explained, Nereids were part of the old gods, before Jupiter, Juno, Venus, even Neptune. There were the ancients. The Nereids were descendants of those old deities. Delphinus nearly choked. No wonder Neptune had a hard time keeping up with her. She had the powers of the ancient gods. This was going to be tougher than he thought. He suddenly regretted not asking for more than a constellation. He sighed. Any idea where I can find her? The octopus shook his head, but then he added, I know someone who probably does, but you won't like it. Delphinus thanked the octopus and backed out of the grotto. He wasn't looking forward to his next stop. It was a place he knew all too well from his youth, but he did want those stars, and maybe it was time to face old fears. He surfaced, took a long breath of air, and then headed into the sunset. He was heading to the western edge of the Mediterranean. It went by many names, the Pillars of Hercules, the Strait of Gibraltar, but underwater it was known by another name, Shark Alley. The narrow convergence of the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean provided a fertile hunting ground for the beasts of the ocean. In his youth, Delphinus liked to associate with the sharks there. He preferred them to his happy-go-lucky dolphin family. Making friends with sharks wasn't easy. They were tough on him. It took many fierce battles for them to accept him, but it was all worth it because it was amongst them that he met his wife, a beautiful tiger shark named Helena. 
It was an unconventional match. Their families were far from happy with it, but Delphinus and Helena loved each other, or used to love each other. Delphinus shook off the thought. He wasn't going to see Helena anyway, and he had to keep his mind sharp, because in addition to his wife, Gibraltar was home to a vicious, one-eyed tiger shark named Hector. Years ago, Hector lost an eye in a battle with a giant squid. At first, it seemed like a death sentence for a shark, but Hector survived, and his sense of smell developed into a finely tuned instrument, one he used for hunting and warfare. Legend had it that he could sense a drop of blood 5,000 miles away. If anyone knew where to find Salacia, it would be Hector. It also meant Hector would likely know that Delphinus was coming, which meant Delphinus was in extreme danger. But there was nothing Delphinus could do about that except prepare himself and pray. After two days of travel, the dolphin arrived in the murky waters off Gibraltar. He looked for Hector in the usual shark hangouts, along the reefs where the deep water currents brought plentiful fish. But he came up empty-handed. He wondered if Hector and the other tigers had pushed on to the Bahamas for the summer. If that was the case, he might never find Salacia. He was about to give up and head back when he heard a low rumble behind him. I can't believe you had the gall to come back, it said. Delphinus swallowed a lump in his throat and swung around but he couldn't see anything in the silty water. The voice could be coming from anywhere, and he knew it all too well. Hector, he called into the distance. I come in peace. Delphinus spun in a circle, but it was no use. The water was too dark. All of a sudden, he was knocked sideways. It felt like he'd been run over by a giant whale, but there was also a sharp pain in his pectoral fin. Delphinus squinted through the cloudy water to see a giant, gaping mouth clamped on his side. He twisted in the shark's grasp, trying to break free, but it was no use. He was clinched too tightly, and now his blood was spilling into the brackish water, blinding him further. Delphinus knew if he couldn't get out of the shark's jaws, he'd bleed to death, or worse, be ripped to shreds. He suddenly realized he was about to die. Coming up, Delphinus fights for survival. Now back to the story. Delphinus was hunting for a sea nymph named Salacia when he found himself the prey. He was clamped in the jaws of a tiger shark. The dolphin tried to crane his head around to slam Hector in his sensitive snout, but he could barely move. His only hope was to use his powerful tail flukes to try to break free. Delphinus began pumping vigorously. At first, nothing happened. The shark weighed at least twice as much as him. But after a moment, Delphinus was able to roll the shark over. With several more flips of his tail, Delphinus started to spin the shark. They went faster and faster until suddenly he felt the shark's jaw relax. Delphinus was free. Blood poured from the dolphin's side, and all his instincts told him to escape into the open water. But 
Then he'd never find Salacia, never get his constellation, and he'd already gone this far. So he took a different approach. While Hector was temporarily dizzy and incapacitated, Delphinus aimed his snout at the shark's one good eye. Hector, I can blind you forever, or you can help me with something, and you'll never have to see me again. The tiger shark's head was still swaying from the dizziness, but he was able to grunt, I told you never to come back here. Delphinus nodded. I know, but if it means anything to you, Helena left me too. Hector took a long look at the dolphin. Delphinus tensed, ready to strike at the tiger's eye. Hector relaxed his pectoral fins and jaw. What do you want, Delphinus? Delphinus explained that he was searching for a sea nymph named Salacia. Hector instantly squared up to fight again. So that's why she left you. You're cheating? He roared. Delphinus jumped backward, ready to sprint to open water. No, no, I'm on a mission for Neptune. I never cheated on Helena. After a moment, he bowed his head and added, Except with the bottle. Hector looked at him skeptically, but he sensed the dolphin's candidness. You're a bigger dolt than I expected. Delphinus shrugged helplessly. I know, I've regretted it every moment since, but please, I need your help. Do you know where this nymph could have gone? Hector looked at him, then sighed. I know who you're talking about. I've sensed her pass nearby a few times, but I'll only tell you if you never come back here. Delphinus raised his flippers in surrender. I promise on my honor as a dolphin. Hector closed his good eye and sensed the water. There's an ancient cave system on the Moroccan coast near the Atlas Mountains. You'll probably find her there, but you better hurry. She moves around a lot. Delphinus thanked Hector and headed off toward the North African coastline. The next day, Delphinus arrived at the underwater cavern that Hector had told him about. He hid behind a rocky outcropping and waited, but he didn't have to wait for long. Suddenly, a glimmer of light illuminated the sea cave. It looked like someone had dropped a handful of polished silver coins into the water. It wasn't twinkling coins, though. It was Salacia. She looked similar to a human, but Delphinus noticed that she didn't swim awkwardly like them. In fact, she was the most graceful swimmer he had ever seen. She didn't swim as much as glide through the water. He watched her in a trance, but he couldn't get distracted. He was on a mission. He emerged from his hiding spot. Excuse me, he said. Before Delphinus could continue, the sea nymph flashed past him and disappeared into deeper water. She moved so fast, Delphinus immediately lost sight of her. She was quicker than a barracuda. Delphinus cursed under his breath. He had missed his chance. Neptune would probably chop him up and feed him to rock crabs. In a desperate attempt, he decided to yell after her. Can you help a lost dolphin? Salacia paused and after a moment darted back toward Delphinus. Where are you trying to go? She asked sweetly. Delphinus swiveled his head around, trying to look lost. 
Oh, I'm trying to get to Rome. Do you know how to get there? The sea nymph moved closer, curious but still skeptical. What's in Rome? Delphinus perked up. Oh, uh, I'm going to see a friend, and I'm late. As Salacia floated closer, she gasped. She was looking at Delphinus's open wound. It wasn't bleeding anymore, but it was ragged with torn flesh. You poor thing, she said. Are you hurt? Delphinus wanted to tell her it was nothing. He'd been in worse condition, but he sensed an opportunity. Oh, uh, a tiger shark attacked me. I'm feeling a bit weak. At that, Salacia swam over and started to bandage his wound with a handful of seaweed. When she was done, she offered to help him back to Rome. Delphinus suppressed a smile and tried to look as helpless as possible. He knew his plan was working, but he also knew it was a long way to Rome and there was more work to be done. After some pleasantries, the dolphin asked Salacia if she'd like to meet his friend when they arrived. She responded nervously. She didn't like to meet many new creatures. They were always chasing her. She felt more at home with her pod of dolphins. Delphinus nodded slowly. Ever since my wife left, I haven't wanted to meet anyone either. But you can't shut yourself off completely, especially when it's someone worth meeting. He explained that his friend was the most handsome creature he had ever seen. His beard was so thick and lustrous, it was like a kelp forest bleached pure white. His eyes were as blue as a Bermudan lagoon, and he was a talented painter. But perhaps most importantly, he was friends with everything in the sea. Dolphins, sharks, reef fish, even sea monsters. Salacia snorted endearingly. You seem to like this friend a lot. Delphinus grinned. He's helped me out a few times over the years. Salacia looked him up and down. So what's in it for you? Delphinus held up his fins. Look, I've been struggling since my wife left. He offered to help me if I found him someone to love. Salacia had heard every line in the sea over the past few years. She'd been offered riches, villas, even her own temple. None of that appealed to her. But she appreciated Delphinus's frankness and vulnerability, and she was tired of running. Perhaps it was finally time to stop. When they arrived at the Tiber River on the Roman coast, she turned to the dolphin. Well, where's this friend? I guess I'd like to meet him. Moments later, Neptune swam out to them. This time, he wasn't accompanied by his entourage. Delphinus turned to Salacia. This is the friend I was telling you about, he said. She tilted her head curiously. Even though his hair and beard were whiter than a seagull's belly, he rippled with muscles. Neptune grasped her hand like he was holding a delicate starfish and kissed it. Salacia blushed, but she didn't turn away. Your dolphin friend is very persuasive, she said to him. Neptune couldn't take his eyes off of her. He is. He's wonderful. Salacia chuckled. He told me you like to paint. Neptune's eyes grew wide. I do. Would you like to see some of my work? Salacia smiled slowly. 
carefully. I'd like that. Delphinus watched as they swam toward Neptune's temple together. They did make a sweet couple. But then he remembered something. He called after Neptune. Sire, what about the stars? Neptune, however, didn't turn around. He was too distracted by Salacia. Delphinus heard them giggling as they swam together into the distance. Delphinus shook his head in disgust. It wasn't fair. The gods had it so easy. They got anything they wanted. And now he was alone again, without his stars. But what could he do? He was just a dolphin. Neptune was the king of the ocean. He took a deep breath and headed back into the sea. A few months later, Delphinus floated up to his favorite sandbar. Cato the lobster skittered over to him. Shot of algae? he asked. Delphinus looked around. Not today, Cato. Just then, a sea turtle flapped into the lagoon. I'm looking for Delphinus, he announced sleepily. Delphinus heard his name, but kept his mouth shut. He was done helping others, especially gods. If they were so powerful, why couldn't they solve their problems themselves? Unfortunately, someone pointed the turtle in his direction, and the creature handed him a message painted on a pearlescent seashell. It was a wedding invitation. Neptune and Salacia were getting married. At first, Delphinus planned to skip it. Ever since his own marriage fell apart, he wanted nothing to do with weddings. They just made him feel worse about himself. But Neptune still owed him. Maybe this was his chance to get his stars. So Delphinus decided to clean himself up. He found a school of remora fish to scrub him from snout to fluke. They even picked the dead flesh from the fresh bite mark. When they were done, he looked like a new dolphin. The wedding was the biggest ceremony Delphinus had ever seen. It was full of gods, goddesses, and every imaginable sea creature. Salacia was more radiant than ever. The event was so beautiful, he almost forgot about his ulterior motive for attending, but not quite. At the reception, Delphinus congratulated the happy couple. Salacia kissed him on the cheek and thanked him. When the bride turned away to shake more hands, Delphinus looked awkwardly at Neptune. Neptune patted him on the dorsal fin. I'm glad you came, Delphinus. He gestured over a server with a tray of champagne and glasses of fermented algae. How about a drink? He asked. Delphinus winced and shook his head. Eh, not today. Neptune appraised the dolphin. Well, look at you. I'm proud of you, Delphinus. Then Neptune turned back to the party. Delphinus felt his pulse quicken. There was no graceful way to do this, but the opportunity was about to pass. He blurted out his question. Uh, your Majesty, I don't want to be that dolphin, but what about what you promised me? Neptune cocked his head. What did I promise? He asked. Delphinus couldn't believe he had forgotten. He was such a god. They only thought about themselves. He'd have to spell it out for him. The stars, Delphinus said finally. Payment for, you know. He flicked his pectoral fin towards Salacia. Neptune sighed. 
Of course, Delphinus, you're right. The god pointed his trident to the night sky, which had turned a deep shade of indigo. He aimed it at a cluster of five stars. They glowed in the shape of a dolphin with a long, elegant tail. Forever after, they will be known as Delphinus, he said. The dolphin's eyes grew wide. He could see his likeness silhouetted in the sky. His skin tingled like he'd been stung by a jellyfish. Thank you, your majesty. My pleasure, old friend. Perhaps you'd like to show off your constellation to that lovely creature behind you. Delphinus turned around, and suddenly his snout hung agape. Floating behind him was his estranged wife, Helena, as beautiful as ever. Hello, Delphinus. You look good. Delphinus felt paralyzed. You too. He managed to croak out. He didn't know what else to say. There was so much to tell her. Do you uh, want to dance? He asked. Helena nodded and inched toward him, and suddenly Delphinus's heart began to soar. He'd never be a god, but he didn't need it. Not as long as he had Helena and his own constellation. When we think of gods, we imagine omnipotent beings who have everything. If they want something, they snap their fingers and get it. In Greek mythology, gods were certainly powerful and took what they wanted at times. But ancient Greek storytellers made an important point in many of their tales. Gods were very much flawed. They had jealousies, insecurities, in essence, human attributes. Perhaps that's why they made such good models for astrological placements. The story of Neptune and Delphinus gives a poignant look at the 12th house of astrology, otherwise known by its zodiac sign, Pisces. This realm is ruled by the planet Neptune and is considered the most ethereal and romantic sign. It's as complicated and capricious as the oceans themselves, or the god that rules them. Neptune is the 12th house's quintessential archetype. He's charming but fickle, intuitive but moody. He's never direct, and sometimes he expresses himself best through creative outlets like painting. Being so sensitive, Neptune relies heavily on Delphinus. Even though Delphinus is not associated with astrology, his attributes are also present in Pisces and the 12th house. He's duplicitous, persuasive, cheerful at times, but also has trouble finding true happiness. And, of course, he loves the chase. Whether you prefer to read Neptune and Delphinus as a traditional Greek myth, a romantic comedy, or a blueprint for astrology's 12th house is up to you. At its heart, though, is a powerful story about friends, loyalty, and the fact that even gods are flawed just like us. Just remember, if you decide to help a friend find love, beware of tiger sharks. 
Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new and exciting story. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more celestial stories, don't forget to listen to the rest of the Summer Solstice special on mythology, superstitions, and mythical monsters. And if you're curious about the astrological ideas we touched on in this episode, check out Horoscope Today, another Spotify original from Parcast which gives a quick daily update on how the stars are affecting each sign of the zodiac. You can find Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Tales was written by Adam De Silva, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. Fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, listeners, it's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock, some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.